0: Broadway Sports Media.
1: I hate Corey Davis. Corey yeah, Davis um, is going to be awful. He's probably going to be out for the year.
0: Welcome to Football Another F Words. I am your host, Michael Gillum, aka Mr. Lobowski. I'm joined, as always, by Zach Lyons, who is rocking a lovely new green screen background that is a warthog off the halo series so a it looks like a bald eagle driving it how are you doing zach
2: doing good we are changing up our recording schedule we are recording at 6 15 in the mornings on mondays and uh, i have to say we all seem bright eyed bushy tailed this morning yeah that's only because i've poured pcp into my coffee we're also joined
0: by mike Herndon, who was kind enough to get up early although that now that he has a child i'm sure he's already been up for a couple hours anyway how are you doing mike
1: yeah, so I was actually late getting on because the feeding with uh, said child took longer than it normally does. He just was extra burpee this morning, but we're all good now and, uh, and rolling.
0: That's okay. I can relate to that. My feedings <laughs> get burpee. So <laughs> <laughs> we are, uh, we appreciate you tuning in as always. Uh, today, we're going to discuss the Nashville Predators and their wonderful, successful run through the Stanley Cup. Play- oh, I'm sorry. They're already out. By the time we recorded another podcast, they are no longer playing for your Stanley Cup hopes. So we're going to get in their ass a little bit. We're going to discuss the NCAA, which admittedly we had as a bit smaller topic for this podcast. But as the day on Sunday went along, it got a little more wild. So we're certainly going to discuss that pending disaster. The Tennessee Titans um, get into capacity. We're going to talk Corey Davis a little bit, who decided to have some uh, so decided to have surgery. Like he had a choice. Uh, it, Vic Beasley finally showed up and uh, got a couple of little topics to throw at you. So, gentlemen, good morning. Let's get right into it. The Nashville Predators are a fucking disaster. Thoughts? You
2: sound so uh npr right now i don't know if it's the early morning but you sound (laughs) you sound so reserved more than you normally are you
0: are right there's there's kind of a touch what drives me nuts about npr is this npr can have a very serious subject and then come right back with their little little like hotshot like we do at the beginning of our podcast where they're introducing topics and the first topic will be you're like oh my god is that really happening and then the second one you're like how does that How are you going to roll into that? I'll give you an example. It's like this morning on NPR, we're going to discuss the presidency and its inability to respond to the COVID virus, but beaver dams, are they the new homes for humans (laughs) coming up next? This is NPR. No, but so anyways, actually part of it is because I live in a condo and I've got people who live on the other side of me and I'm afraid that my office is actually the adjoining wall for my neighbor's bedroom. So I have no idea if he or she uh, wants to listen to this. But anyways,
2: you're going to get full NPR Lebowski today. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, so the Predators kind of suck, right? I mean, <laughs> there's no way around it. They're underachieved. And they look like – I get that people want to say that um, they they played with – I don't know, they that – they. They looked better on the ice than what that score dictated, right? Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it is what people are saying. But I thought they looked like shit on the ice. Like, I don't see what everybody else has seen. I saw a lot of sloppy puck work that I've never seen since – out of the last six or seven years of watching a lot of hockey. Um, they were getting – the passes weren't crisp or anything. I I thought they just looked like complete and utter shit the whole time, except for um, the shots that they made were pretty amazing, but they were so few and far between the ones that actually went in the goal, like the no look and uh, Forsberg had a couple of outstanding goals. But for the most part, outside of the Jofa line, and even they had some stuff that I thought was shitty, I thought it was a complete and utter mess on the ice. I, I don't see any good that comes from this other than we may be able to get uh, the first – that this pick that everybody's talking about. Uh, Wiley or whatever his name Lafreniere. is. Lafreniere. <laughs> uh, um Yeah, I I don't think there is anything good to take away from this other than Jofa was maybe 80% Stanley Cup kind of Jofa line. I, I don't know. I mean, like – I don't see anything, any positives from it. Yeah,
1: I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think Jofa was very good, and that's it. That, that's really the only, the only positive. And the frustrating thing for me with the Preds is, is you know they've kind of they had the run in 2017, which you know was was great, but they were an eight seed that that went on a kind of special run uh, through the playoffs. And then the next season, they followed up with the President's Trophy, and everyone's like, "Okay, this is this is a real contender now. This this is a team that's going to be around, and we've got the core locked in." Well, that core has just kind of disintegrated, it seems like, and and it's the same guys out there. I mean, it's it's a very stagnant lineup at the end of the day. You know, you've got your Jofa line, and then they traded out, you know, Subban for Duchesne, which you know you can argue the merit to that if you want to but i don't know that you know suban is a whole lot better than what they were getting out of duchene but um you know obviously different different positions and all that but i I, the frustrating thing is that after three four years of having this core together half the time out there it looks like this is the very first time that these guys have ever seen each other or like played on the heights Oh, I mean, my God, it,
2: You that's that's what I was trying to get at. I mean, you are so right. It looks like they played for the first time every time. They it's like online. they
1: got introduced before the game, and they're like, oh, this is who you're going to be playing with today. <laughs> I mean, it, they seem like they've got no anticipation of where each other's going to be. There's no chemistry, and it's, I mean, outside of Jofa, it's just a mess. And like, I'm
2: glad I, I'm not crazy because like, yeah. I'm, I'm a very much, even though I've been watching hockey and been going to a bunch of the games, I'm very much a uh, – I don't know all the rules. I don't know how I've watched this game for seven years and not picked up on one fucking rule. <laughs> but I don't know all the rules. All I can tell you is that when I watch them play, it looks like I could be doing what they're doing. I, it's like someone's like, hey, Zach, go out there and get on the ice, and we're just going to get – Try to get you the puck, like, and you got to get it to us. And I can't do that. And it looks like they can't do that. I, it just—it was a complete and utter disaster on the ice. And everybody's like, "Well, you know, they—they should have won because they looked like the better team. They should have won. Did they? Did they look like the better team? No. I don't no, think no, they, they didn't did. Look like the better. I team. mean, uh, Arizona was skating circles around them and intercepting their puck passes and. And getting shots on the goal on the reg, I mean, Soros looked okay. It wasn't really his fault he needs to grow in the offseason because he's too small. But <laughs> um, hey, Holler at me for some HGH. Yeah, he uh, needs UC. to uh, take some of Corey Davis's big toe and put it in his in his shoe because he needs some height. <laughs> this guy needs some height. But other than that, I think we look like complete nutter utter shit. Like, I don't see any po- – I, I really don't see any positives because even the Jofa line looked way out of sync for a good – too much – they looked too much out of sync for too too much time, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I – and you you just said it with the – there. There's a, there's a segment of media and fans that want to try to point out, oh, well, the Predators did this well. Our loyal listener, Vin V-Love, pointed out something on Twitter that, that was absolutely perfect for this, is that don't give me the shit that the Predators looked good in certain segments. They, they just got – basically, they got a gentleman sweep, right? They yeah. got one win out of this. One against it's Arizona.
1: With that. Arizona's best, like, highest-scoring player from the regular season out for all of the games. He didn't play one, one game.
2: Well, don't forget they just fired their head coach like two weeks before.
1: (laughs) Their GM, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they just fired their GM. Like, they're a total mess of a franchise. It's not like the Preds went out and lost to the Lightning or, uh, you know, some team that's really good right now. These are the fucking Coyotes. Like, I mean, it's just – it's embarrassing, frankly, To after, like, watching this team for, you know, years and having all these expectations – it's embarrassing to watch them go out and just look look like they barely care. They barely could be bothered uh, to get out on the ice in Edmonton and, and you know, skate around with these. I, it's just
2: – I'm furious. You know what this reminds right me now. of? The Rex Grossman Chicago Bears. They got to the Super Bowl, and then they turned out to be just another team that was an also-ran and could never get back, right? Right. And this seems exactly like it. It seems like we got to the Stanley Cup and we – that was our chance to win it. And it's going to be a while – I feel like it's going to be a while before we're back to being any kind of an elite hockey team because we're stuck with this team for, it feels like, 20 years because of these contracts and you're not going to be able to trade them away. I don't know if they're fully guaranteed or not. I mean, if they're not fully guaranteed, you need to be cutting some people, David Poley. But we're we're a mess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what? that, there we are—the back of Lebowski's head. A mess. Uh, I mean, he's got—he exact, exactly I mean, he is a wild mountain man, and it, this is a mess. And I am—I love hockey. I'll yeah, I'll go to the games because going to the games are awesome. But I'm not going in with any expectations that this is a playoff team and that th- we're going to be at the Stanley Cup anytime soon.
0: All right. So you 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 brought up Arizona changing GMs. The Predators fired their head coach essentially mid to late season. I'm going to say something that I know if, if we have like hardcore Predators fans that are tuning in that are going to come out of their chair when I say this, but I'm just going to say it. Tell me the difference between what Peter Lovillette was doing and what John Hines put on the ice. Tell me Explain. the difference
2: between Barry Trotz and Peter LaViette, and I'll try to figure out the difference between Peter LaViette and John Hines. Because to me, there's no difference between any of the three of them. What? It's what it's is the that same product fucking team? It's <laughs> the
0: same team that went out there and tried on the ice like it was an all-star game, looking at each other like they've never paired up together before. I, I don't understand. <laughs> What is the fucking difference? We fired Laviolette. He was supposed to be the problem. Uh, you bring in John Hines. It's a good place. I don't just I don't see the difference. And yes, part of it is because I, I may be uneducated about the team and I don't understand the different coaching styles. But tell me the difference between their coaching styles. Tell me that Laviolette was the problem. I don't see that the product of the eyes changed. They just I got gentlemen
1: swept. I mean, they. I, I feel like they basically swapped out like a more aggressive, uh, shitty version of the Preds for a more conservative, shitty version of the Preds going from Laviolette to Hines. Like, Hines is definitely more of a defensive, like, coach when it comes to his style of play and everything. And, and he's, he's a little bit more trotsy uh, than, than Laviolette. But, I mean, obviously, he Laviolette wasn't the problem. I mean, you know, it's it's very – the results were always the same, you know, even if the – way of getting there was a little bit different under Hines. But, I yeah, I don't know what the point of firing La was. The
0: the Predators, to me, look like a broken-down Ferrari that we changed the paint color from blue to red and did nothing else. Nothing else.
2: This is why in the NFL you treat it like a business because I feel like the hometown – players like Ryan Ellis, Eckholm, those guys that we paid and kept here for this long have worn out their welcome, but they only got paid because they were the they were the guys that everybody knows. Everybody loves Ryan Ellis and blah blah blah. They're killing this team. I mean, we need these other we need to refresh this blood on this other line. This is why you ship out Jarrell Casey for a seventh round pick because players wear out their welcome it doesn't matter what they do if you want to win you got to ship you got to move pieces around the stale pieces of your franchise around and, and i they got to get rid of some of these players and bring in some fresh guys
1: and i think that's a good chemistry point at all. <laughs> i think i think that's a good point because one of the things that I, I think i find kind of interesting is sports teams that just get stagnant you know you see a team and they make this big run and then the you know, focus is, well, we just got to keep all these guys together for as long as possible. And that's how we're going to win. I do feel like there's some element of like rotation and, you know, getting just new faces mixed into the the, the squad that, that brings an element that, that kind of pushes guys, you know, it's like, it's not the same faces every day on the, on the team. And I know they traded out, like they went and got Duchesne and, you know, they have made some moves here and there, but it feels to me like part of the problem here is the they sold off all their young up and coming talent uh, for the most part in moves to win. Now you know they went all in, um, and at this point they went all in and they busted. You know, so it, you know Biala's gone. You know some of the other other guys that they shipped out. Um, uh, what's the defenseman uh, Gerard that they shipped to Colorado, who turned out to be a really good player. Um, they moved some of those young guys out because they wanted to win now and now they didn't win. And now they've got a farm system that really, I mean, they've got Tomasino and Tolvanen down there that maybe those guys could help you next year. And maybe that's part of the answers. You pull them into the uh, the big club and, and just see what they can do. You know, if nothing else, maybe some young legs will, will help push the the veterans in the group. But um, they've kind of boxed themselves into a corner with their, this roster construction. And this is a – you know, for as much as, you know, Poyle is worshipped here and, um, you know, deservedly so to some degree. I mean, he, he built this franchise from, you know, a literal laughingstock expansion team back when being an expansion team was hard in the NHL um, into a, a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. But, you know, he is uh, – his his moves over the last couple of years, I definitely think, are worth scrutinizing, and and you know there could be some question as to whether they, you know, need a little bit of a refresh, a little restart somewhere. It's it's just you know I think I think we should all just hope for uh, luck with uh, Lafreniere uh, today at five o'clock.
0: It's because they have. The predators have like what a twelve percent chance of getting the first pick, something along those lines. Yeah,
1: yeah, one one in eight, I think, something like that. Um, Or no, one in yeah, one in eight, I think. Um, But yeah, so they have a twelve and a half percent chance of getting the first pick, and they're drawing. They're doing the drawing today at five, I think. Five. I don't know if it's Eastern or Central. Um, We'll have to ask uh, Justin Mello about that. But um, the the drawing is today, and this guy Lafreniere is supposed to be like, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily a McDavid type talent, but he's a definitely no-brainer number one pick kind of guy. So he would be, he would be the kind of guy you could draft and probably play right away next year, which is relatively rare in hockey.
0: Well pissed off predators twitter who i'm growing to like over the last couple of days because (laughs) they went completely ham on the local media that covers the team doesn't want to be harsh on them and all they tried their best and this and that which i do tend to kind of agree with a little bit but what i like to see is why even if they have a 12 chance of getting him and they do why bring him here does he really want to waste his career here and i thought oh boy here we go Uh. because okay 2017 cup run all i've been hearing is oh well this team is set up to make multiple cup runs Uh, great would you like to get started because i would i would love to see you go back to the cup can you can you can i put that on my google calendar for when that's going to happen because i don't see it and frankly i'm i'm pretty damn tired of waiting on it i mean here we are sitting in the middle of the pandemic i thought well you know at least maybe we'll get to see the predators you know go into the playoffs, maybe they'll make a deep run, this kind of thing. I, I fully didn't expect them to go to the Cup this year at all. However, I kind of expected you to put up a little bit better than one win against the Coyotes. The Phoenix Coyotes, it's a hockey team in Phoenix. What are you doing? I, I just – the predators have just irritated the shit out of me. I just, I really just don't understand the difference between Lovulette and Hines, And I would love someone to explain that to me. And explain it to me with a straight face, not just, here's the differences. There is no difference. The product on the ice was garbage.
2: This is pretty much look like the same team with the same people, pretty much what feels like for 10 years. Like it really does feel like this franchise and this team has become stagnant and it doesn't matter who the coach is until you get in fresh blood. And I, you know, I was trying, while you were talking, Mike, I was trying to remember who is that kid that everybody was talking about last season and it was Tolvanian. And I'm thinking, where is he? (laughs) Like, Why is he not up here by now? Some of the,
1: some of the bloom came off the Tolvan and Rose, I think a little bit when, you know, he kind of came up, he came up at some point during, I think, his rookie season. And yeah. He didn't do a ton. And then I think he struggled a little bit in the AHL uh, last year. And by most reports that I've read, it sounds like he was better this year. And so maybe he'll get a, a legit chance in camp next year. But, yeah, a guy like that would have been a huge difference maker if he t- had panned out to be the kind of like, you know, Patrick Linea you know, scoring winger phenom that that he was billed as uh, originally. But, yeah, it's just one of those things where all of those bets seem to be coming up short for the Preds, and, and there's just nothing, there's nothing exciting about the team at this point. You know, like, it's not his fault, but I'm so tired of seeing Craig Smith and guys like that. I mean, like, he's been here for forever, and he's done some good things. He's had some good seasons, but, like, I just feel like this team is so worn out. Like it's just the it's the same like twelve to sixteen guys, and then they just change the parts around those twelve to sixteen. And it's just I don't know. I'm I'm kind of done with this core group of Preds. I you know keep keep Forsberg. He's a national treasure. Uh, But besides that, I I could care less about most of
2: the other guys. Roman Yossi's going nowhere. You know what?
1: Are we, are we sure? And maybe this is blasphemy. Roman Yossi's a really good player. Are we sure he's a
2: good leader? Like, hey, you did know, you see a statement that came out yesterday? Uh, no, oh, I did shit. not. I, I'm horrible. I should have had it pulled up. He actually came out with a really, really good statement. And okay. I need to pull that up. So um, while you're doing
0: that, I'm just going to pour a little more fuel on the fire here. Um, Adam Adam Vingan tweeted out on August the 2nd that returning since returning to the postseason in 2015 the Predators have an 0 5 record when losing game 1 in the playoffs. It's now 0 6. Someone else took that a little further and said that the Predators have an 0 and 11 series record when losing game 1 in franchise history. You can't win the Stanley Cup if you can, if you have to depend on winning game 1 every time.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it shows a little bit of a lack of, I don't know, it, lack of Shelf. toughness, maybe, or like mental fortitude, uh, something like that. I feel yeah. like when you just strolling into just the playoffs,
2: Here's the statement that Roman Yosi released on the uh, Nashville Predators Twitter account, Twitter account yesterday, or at least I saw it yesterday. Dear Smashville, this hurts. And it is going to hurt for a while. The team didn't achieve our ultimate goal of winning the Stanley Cup, but just like our fans, our passion and resiliency will not waver. Uh, I feel like they misspelled waver. We'll take a few days to reflect on the moments we've shared this past season. And more importantly, how our city came together and showed where Smashville strong. On behalf of the entire team, thank you for the support you've given to our entire organization. We look forward to playing in front of you again, the best fans in all sports, where we'll start a new chapter together in our quest for the Stanley Cup. See, I mean, yeah, it's generic, but he also didn't have to put it out, right?
1: I'm glad that he said something, but I, I don't know. I guess where I'm coming from with that is like, Shea Weber was the captain for for most of the, the Predators' big run, right? Like, when they were starting to build up and everything. And then they made the pivot. You know, they made the trade to send him away for Subban. And that kind of did put them over the top briefly. But I feel like there's just been a little bit... It's, it's not as cohesive of a group under Yossi somehow. Um, and, you know, I don't know the inner dynamics of the Predators locker room or anything like that. So I, I'm not sure if that's not a Yossi thing at all and maybe just other other guys in the locker room. But I don't know. I guess, like, I've got something about his, like, leadership. He's he's kind of a quieter guy. I felt like Weber was always more of the, the hard-ass, like – uh, tough guy, you know, everything like that. Yossi's, Yossi's a fantastic player. Like, you know, he, Norris finalists and all that stuff. So no, no judgment there, but I just don't know. As like a captain. Uh, is he the best captain for that, that team? But I don't know that, that may be totally missing the boat, but it's just something that I've thought about over the past, like few days, ever since they got eliminated again, it's like, well, where's the leadership? Like, where's the, where's the piss and vinegar when you go out and, and, you know, have a terrible game in game one. And, you know, where, where do you rebound from that? I mean, you come out and you have one good game and then you go back into your hole. You know, I I just don't, I don't see the leadership from this team.
0: Let's transition from one dumpster fire that has fully sank under the surface of the ocean to another dumpster fire that appears to be on its way to the bottom of the ocean right now, the NCAA and the Sunday they just had. So It started, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it started Saturday night, Sunday morning, with the Big Ten leadership was getting together and discussing whether or not they should even play. And by the time I logged back in to social media on Sunday evening, it had already it was full into the leaders of the Power Five had gotten together and were deciding imminently to, to end the season or in the hopes of college football and fall sports is what it looks like completely. So I guess, let me, let me start with the obvious. What the fuck happened in 48 hours when the SEC came out and rolled out a schedule on Friday and a lot of SCC fans were getting up in arms because oh, we've got to play so and so. Look how awful Missouri's schedule is. Those what UT happened, fans.
2: <laughs> Those UT fans were not very then, happy. Yeah,
0: I even saw <laughs> like prominent members of Vols Twitter like saying, "I'm not even going to read Vols Twitter anymore because I'm tired of it." So, what the fuck happened here? I'm going to get to the obvious later of players putting you know statements out on Twitter, but let's just start from the beginning. Like. How do you fuck this up from the beginning? How do you tee schedules, and then all of a sudden you're it's leaked that you're part of this group led by the Big Ten that you're thinking about canceling fall sports?
2: Well, I think it I think it falls onto the shoulder of the NCAA. Really has no power, and the Power Five conferences decided they were not going to get together, and these commissioners were not going to hammer out a smart plan. To each their own is what they were pretty much going to do. You handle your conference, we'll handle our conference, stuff like that that's stupid and that lack of organization and cohesion really has opened up the door for players to have more of a voice right they they've been growing a voice been trying and trying and trying and this lack of cohesion from those that are the figureheads really has let them put that foot in the door and I know that the midday guys they think that the Big Ten handled it the best because they were starting early, which gives them more time to um, gives them more time to have uh, if they start early and something happens with the virus, they have you know extra weeks towards the end of the schedule well they're, they were starting too early that 's the problem, and the SEC and the Big twelve are starting later. So now you got the Big Ten coming in, and supposedly under the guise of, well, we're afraid of our afraid for the health of our players, even though that a lot of the Big Ten's players have came out and said they are comfortable with the protocols in place at their particular schools. The commissioner is trying to rally the other Power Five conferences to get the season canceled. And a Power 5 athletic director texted Matt Hayes on Twitter, and he put out this statement. You and your colleagues are chasing the wrong story. The virus alone is enough to stop the season, which probably it isn't. I disagree. But presidents are terrified of players organizing. It's the paradigm shift to change amateur sports. You potentially lose one season with a virus. You lose the entire framework of your mission statement with players organizing. They need time to figure out how to attack it. Now, whether this is just the Big Ten overblowing the players unionizing and all this stuff and all, all this crap, or they just really just fucked up and they want to cancel it, we don't really know. But we know the Big Ten is driving this bus and putting their sources are the ones putting out and talking to all these people and saying that the college football to season's going to get canceled, blah, blah, blah. And then we see the players step up. And Trevor Lawrence puts out this really great thread. And to me, he's talking about, you know, if we don't play, players go back home to their communities. And there's a bunch of players who come from, you know, poor areas of the um, of the United States. And they're not going to be any – they're probably worse off there than they are at college where there's doctors and protocols and all this stuff. It's a mess. And it all comes down to the fact that nobody's on the same page out of these power five commissioners.
1: Yeah, it's, it's something that I feel like, you know, the, the virus is obviously a driver here, but it's, it's a track that I feel like the NCAA has been headed down for a long time because, they, they're essentially a cabal, right? I mean, they, they do all this stuff under the guise of amateurism amateurism, where they are making money off the backs of all these players and, and they're reinvesting it into the program. So, sure, yeah, that, that's, that's great and all. But the NCAA and all the executives in the NCAA – what do they do exactly? I mean, what are they bringing to the table? They they put together some schedules. They uh, make deals with the, these bowl games and stuff like that. But I mean, why does anybody need these guys? Or why does anyone need them lording over all the you know amateurism rules? Like that's that's what I think this all kind of comes back to is players realizing that they've got a platform A and then B, the power um, to speak out and go after what they want out of college athletics. And so um, I do think that is kind of like the bigger underlying issue here. But to me, it just, it sucks that if we don't have college football this fall, um, you know, that, that personally for me, is frustrating. Like, obviously I would love to be watching it, but I think Trevor Lawrence's point is a good one. I mean, it seems like a lot of the players were, were making the same point, you know, these schools for better or worse, especially the power five schools, they have top-notch medical care. Um, you know, they're, they're in a university and, you know, obviously, you know, when I was in college, you know, you, the university is like a bubble in itself, right? I mean, you don't interact with a whole lot of people that are not, you know, going to school there whenever you're in school at a college. So, like, if it was managed correctly, you could, I think, put together some sort of safe protocols to play a football. Like, having students on campus is certainly – just as dangerous or more dangerous to me than playing a football game. Right. I mean, they, like what, once they're on campus, which a lot of these schools are open or are going to have students on campus this fall. Uh, once they're on campus, what's the difference in letting them play football games? I guess is that's, that's where it comes down to me is like, why do we have to cancel the football season if we're not canceling
2: classes? Right.
0: Oh, you know, yeah. you're, you're 100% correct because here's the the inherent problem with exactly what you were just going into about if you're just going to let them open on campus, what's the harm in letting them play sports? Because we are talking about college students. I mean, think about how you were in college. It it doesn't matter where you went to school. You found a way to party. You found a way to do anything, but social distancing. So what do you think that players and student athletes you know the ncaa's favorite phrase are going to do monday through friday
1: yeah How do you going think to they're going to fill that time when they were practicing and getting ready for games and stuff yeah like that.
0: they're not going to quarantine themselves in dorm rooms and apartments and all that the, what the, yeah they're going to quarantine themselves at buck wild ass parties i mean <laughs> let's just be realistic here then so to go back to what you were saying this is worst case scenario for the ncaa this is actually the perfect storm building in front of their eyes because it's finally exposing the NCAA as if any more exposing need to be done, but it finally exposes the NCAA that they have zero power. And this is all but going to lead to athletes probably finally formally organizing and forming a union. Cause you're exactly right. They met not out of the fear and safety of students playing, you know, sports safely. No, it, 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 what this is is to try to find a way to keep the players from from formally organizing, and it's it's already not going well. So I don't know who typed this, but <clears throat> I saw Trevor Lawrence tweet it, and I saw several other athlete, student athletes, listen to me, uh, college athletes, tweet this out yesterday, and it's under the hashtag of "We want to play." and it's got the, the power five logos up at the top says we want to play football this season, establish universal mandated health and safety procedures and protocols to protect college athletes against COVID-19 among all conferences throughout the NCAA give players the opportunity to opt out and respect their decision guarantee eligibility, whether a player chooses to play the season or not, we want to use our voices to establish open communication, trust between players and officials ultimately created, ultimately create college football players association there you go right there i mean it says it right there towards the end representative of the players of all power five conferences so i don't know who created this document but a lot of athletes started sharing it so you could see that they obviously buy into the sentimentality but there it is right there in writing, and this is exactly what the NCAA did not want, which was student athletes organizing to demand a say at the table, and I completely agree with them. You've got the leaders, quote-unquote, of the Power Five, deciding these guys can't play. When are the players going to have a say-so about their own damn bodies? Trevor Lawrence is a perfect example of this. He stands to lose a lot if he doesn't play because he. this is his senior year. Am I correct in that, or is it junior?
1: I think it's his junior <clears throat> year, but this is this will be his last year. Right.
0: So this is his last opportunity to show that, you know, what kind of what his draft stock needs to be. Correct. So you have several other guys, lots of other guys who play football that, that need this to jump. And so they have no control of their amateurism. They're playing under a system, which the leadership of is a complete farce and does not want these athletes to have control of their own image and to form a union and there it is
2: well this is speaking of unions and stuff uh alice jessup at on twitter at ruling sports uh, mitchell's brother actually shared this which the, <laughs> this is the one time that mitchell's brother is actually very useful um but apparently the national labor uh, relations board ruled that the, the, Northwestern back in 2014, Northwestern football players tried to file a petition to unionize. They're, they're football players on scholarship. However, the National Labor Relations Board uh, ruled that despite Northwestern football players on scholarship being employees, they couldn't vote to unionize because of the NCAA's focus on competitive balance. And herein lies the issue, hashtag we are united, which, which must be a new uh, hashtag I wasn't aware of athletes face and form in forming a union under the NLRA. The issue with these athletes forming a union is there are 128 schools in NCAA Division I FBS, but not all are private schools. The NLRA grants the right to unionize employees of private employers. It wouldn't apply to athletes at state schools. Thus, what will likely emerge from this is not a union, but a non-union organization likely organized as a non-profit. So there is, um, that's a lot of information to unpack right there, but it seems like it's a—it's almost like they're going to be the NCAA of the players, right? So it's going to be like NCAA is a non-profit or whatever it's supposed to be classified as and then there's going to be another nonprofit for players. Um but it's probably going to hold very little value and power at the end because that's just how the uh national labor board is. But I'd like to talk about something that's also if if call it there are a lot of towns like let's say Tuscaloosa. It's not a destination city like Nashville, right? So if like Vanderbilt cancels football Nashville's not going to feel the heat from Vanderbilt, you know, missing out on certain, you know, tourists. Yeah, uh, Nashville won't notice. Tuscaloosa going to Chipotle feel can it. close on
0: West End and have yeah. a bigger impact.
2: But towns <laughs> like Tuscaloosa and Auburn will definitely feel the hurt from no football, no sports. And I know the NCAA and these Power Five commissioners – they, they need to think about their school and stuff like that. I'm not saying that they need to be thinking about the economy, but these sports writers or millennials that are – I'll say that they are part of the I told you so crowd because there are people a, par, a part of the I told you so crowd. I know nobody's – everybody wants sports, but there are people that are a part of a certain crowd that – even if we don't get sports are still going to be able to say, Hey, I told you so I told you this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's economic impact that will reverberate out from the NCAA's bubble into real world, real families who depend on this. And I've already seen people say, well, it's not the, if, if they can't survive this, then, you know, they weren't, they shouldn't have opened up a business anyway. Like that's, pretty stupid to say that's insane but here's the thing is that they have survived in the hopes they've been surviving a pandemic right they're probably in dire straits as it is and are in dire need of the influx of tourism and football season to survive and there's gonna be you can't guarantee that anybody, any player is going to get a virus, right? You can't guarantee they won't get a virus. But I can guarantee you that if there's no football season, businesses are going to crumble and families are going to go bankrupt or homeless or this or that. I mean, it's it's a huge economic impact and we need to quit. As a society, we need to start thinking about a little bit about the big picture of – what canceling a season means to you know bobby sue who owns this uh you know bar on the square of tumor square that needs this to stay open and they need it for their livelihood i mean there's 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 a yes there is health in the of the student athletes but there's also the health of the city that some of these colleges reside and there's also other people who depend on this i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of working parts and it's a fine line to walk between you know health of people versus the and we've been trying to walk it since March, but the health of health of the business and the health of the health of the economy and the health of this the citizens it's a fine oh, and, line and, and and there's no easy answer, but I mean you know. We we fucked up at the beginning and we're still paying for it, right? We we know that as society we fucked up at the beginning and we're still paying for it. And unfortunately, but we can't live in this fear. We the coronavirus isn't going away. It it's just not. But and we can't live in this fear for this long and not start feeling the economic impact in surrounding areas.
0: So I don't to and and i hate to sideline this issue because it's not an easy one to sideline but without getting to a debate of the coronavirus and and people's health in general the point you were making about small businesses are going to suffer from this is really what pains me the most and it what to make a very shitty comparison I don't think there's anyone out there that that disagrees that if the federal government had a better response to the coronavirus up front, we wouldn't be in this position. But this kind of what the NCAA reminds me of is a long play of how the federal government has responded to COVID. If the NCAA years ago had given players more of a say and tried to actually formally organize themselves better than they were instead of just being greedy and tacking on bowl game after bowl game after bowl game they would not be in this position and right now the NCAA has no power the power five is trying to take power from themselves but all of these groups have no interest in having student athletes have a say in any of this and that's what's so disgusting about this and at the end of the day all of this bickering and fighting and, and arguing among the players and coaches and the power five and the NCAA is ultimately going to hurt the people that run small businesses in these towns that depend on these huge influxes of crowd on game day. That's what's really shitty about this is that there are two people that are going to suffer out of this are the two groups that shouldn't suffer at all. The student athlete, especially the one who's got to go back to a pretty shitty situation at home and the local businesses that depend on this thriving extra economy that comes flooding in on Saturdays. And that's where we're at.
2: Yep. we talked about how baseball needs to evolve before it dies. And we we really trashed how baseball handled this whole bubble negotiation with the players and the owners. NCAA is doing it ten times worse <laughs> right now, in my opinion. But they need to evolve. They need they apparently will have to let the players unionize to get for the players to legally get a union. And I think there there's a halfway point, right? So there's always the people, oh, you just got to let the players, you, you know, the players just need to suck it up. They got scholarships, suck it up. And then there's the, well, the, pay all the players, they do their money. There's that middle ground. Like, I wish there was more middle ground and uh, more nuance in the sports world, but there's not. Um, but there's a middle ground. We'll get it. Something's got to give here, and this is a um, I mean this is a good opportunity for the NCAA to to try to change the course of history, whether the big Ten I guess doesn't really want to or not, but I don't know i think I think that you'll see at the end of the day I'd be highly highly surprised if there's no college football and of some sort. I'm not saying that some of the Power Five conferences won't drop out. I just think that it, I'll be hard-pressed to, to see some form of college football not play. But if you push it to the spring, according to the NFL CBA, the latest that you can have the NFL draft is June 2nd. So you're talking about players playing in the spring and then – turning around going into the draft and going straight into training camp with no literally cuz you got combine in between all that with literally no time to rest. Yeah, and, more injured rookies ever. Yeah. So, you know, th- th- to be able to change that date off of June 2nd as the latest, that means you're going to have to get the NFLPA and the NFL back to the board, back to the drawing board but how far can you really push it back no. i mean you can't really push it back that far because then you guys start the season right you gotta get no. those rookies started
0: you, and, and again this is where i completely speak out of my ass but i feel like that's where a group of nfl owners the nfl owners as a whole privately get together with the ncaa and the power five and say hey stop fucking around we have yeah. a joined product you're being idiots figure this out mike i'm yeah. gonna give you the last word on this
2: yeah go ahead
1: yeah and i think you know the people that like Zach said, are, that are missing the point on the economic impact. Like if you've ever been to Knoxville, Tennessee, um, Knoxville is a pretty big town, right? I mean, it's what, maybe 300,000, 400,000 people somewhere around there. Uh, maybe, maybe even bigger than that. Um, but it's a pretty big town, but there's zero doubt that the biggest industry in that town is, is, University of Tennessee athletics like that the university makes that town go and there's towns a lot smaller than Knoxville Starkville Mississippi um, you know Oxford Mississippi Tuscaloosa um and the those whole cities I mean you're, you're looking at potentially just seeing these things turn into ghost towns and then what does that do to your your you know college kids too I mean so I, I don't know it's it's a really depressing um, topic I feel like just because there's so many people's lives at stake um, or livelihoods at at stake as well Um, and it's it feels like the NCAA is going to screw this up somehow to me because that's just what they do I have zero as far as like faith in organizations I have as little faith in the NCAA as any organization in sports
0: yeah that's that's the perfect way to sum it up and that alter, ulti- i mean that statement right there is this entire problem is that zero faith in the ncaa to make the right choice so i'm leaving on that lovely depressing note and we're going to move on to the tennessee <laughs> titans so a couple of pieces of titans news obviously uh vic beasley finally decided to show up strolled into work oh about what 10 days late was that the final count yeah 10 days 10, 10 days late. Um,
2: Thanks for so showing we, up,
1: Vic.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> let's start right there. I, the last time we recorded this podcast, it was Zach and I were kind of going into the whole thing of we're going to reserve judgment, not criticize. Yeah, that time has passed for me. So I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and criticize a little bit. Whatever, happening, whatever was happening privately, whether it was a death, whether you just had to get your head on right and show up, I get that, but at some point, you got to pick up the phone and communicate with your employer a little bit. And every but, indication but we got, oh, we, we, give we me don't a second.
2: Listen, no, because you're, you're going down this path that the rest of the media has. We don't know. We know that they communicated because John Robinson told us now, whether John Robinson communicated with Frable, that's a totally different story. And we know that back when Derrick Henry was getting his degree John Robinson never told Malarkey that hey, Derrick Henry's not going to be here to get his degree, because he's getting his degree. So let's let's preface this that I don't know how, when he communicated and you don't know how he communicated. Okay, I know all right. we but
0: you're fuck. you're walking a thin shitty line here. And right, this is it, where it, I'm going to fucking. Sorry, tra- it, and it's and the this, line
2: of realism. No, ever. it's not the line of
0: reality. Let's you're comparing apples to apples for things who don't understand. A, do we know the difference between the relationship between Robinson and Malarkey and Robinson and Vrabel?
2: No, we don't. We don't. Okay. We do. Okay. Vrabel was. Okay, Vrabel so why was did so why John Robinson doubt. not tell Vrabel and Vrabel said. And why are. Why is he saying I personally have not talked to Vic Beasley? Because, oh, because he hasn't maybe. Personally.
1: Maybe he didn't talk to him. I mean, Robinson's the one that signed him, right? I mean, right. it would make more sense for him to talk to Robinson than it right, would. Right. That's Vrabel what I'm saying. Vrabel.
2: I am saying that. So we can't Wait. say. You know, and we know that Robinson has talked to Vic. We don't know when, and we don't well, know what the how much. Here's the thing: if
1: if Robinson talked to Vic beforehand, and, and they say Vic made the phone call, and say, "Hey, look, Rob, J Rob, I'm uh, you know, I'm dealing with some stuff. I, I'm just not going to be able to make it in time, and this is why." And he gave a valid reason then those would be excused absences. They are allowed to give excused absences to training camp. But he put him on the did not report list, the same list that Kevin Dodd went on, which basically is you no-call, no-showed camp. Um, And that's unacceptable to me. Like, I mean, it's bullshit for 80 guys to show up or 79 guys to show up on time, and then one guy just decides he's going to go pick up trucks for a few weeks and do some errands before he shows up. Like he's putting himself, he's making himself bigger than the team at that point. It's, I think it's bullshit what Beasley did um, short of some sort of explanation. But I think if there was an explanation, then why would Robinson be calling it unexcused? Like he made a point to say, this is an unexcused. He said, Big knows this is unexcused absence. I feel like you don't say that if there's like some really good reason behind it.
2: And, and all I'm saying is that we don't know how much they've communicated or when they communicated. That's that's all I'm saying. I, I'm not, I, okay. I don't agree with what Vic's done since sure. the funeral and, thing. And, I just wanted that right. out there. But I'm I like to say that we just don't know about the communication thing. Like we we know that there probably wasn't there was some weird excuse that we're not really getting, right? We, we don't know anything because I feel like John Robson really hasn't told us anything. And Vic will have to answer for it. But, right. okay. so, I, but I agree we, that he's shitty.
0: But let me let me go down the assumption road here, and just on the variable part, right? Okay, okay. so if, you, if your argument is that he didn't talk to Vrabel, how much communication did he have with Vrabel right now, blah, blah, blah. Vrabel is a player's coach. Surely we don't disagree on that, right? right. Does Mike Vrabel come out and say that I have not had a conversation with him if he is under the understanding that there is a death in the family and that Vic Beasley is having a hard time adjusting to this? can't get his head on straight and uh, does that sound like the statement of someone who's trying to show a little sympathy for someone he hasn't even spoken to what his statement sounded like to me was someone who was pissed the fuck off that he hasn't ever conversation with this guy. He's only spoken to the GM and that he's not here. That's what I'm taking from it is that regardless of how much communication he had with the team, it sounds like to me, and I am assuming, it sounds like to me, this guy dropped maybe two phone calls to the team the entire time and what the fuck? And then he shows up the day after the opt out date. I mean, just strolls back into camp. I, I, this is a little, it sounds a little Antonio Brownish. Without yeah. the outward Antonio Brown crazy shit on social media, is I think what there's some
2: mental issues that we definitely should be concerned about, right? I mean, I definitely and, and I, that's I, I, I th- one, yeah. And I and I definitely think that there's also there's either diva mental issues or there's like legit mental issues that we need to worry about. Either way, it does not bode well for the start of the Vic Beasley era. It does not bode well for John Robinson hiring him either, because I mean. For all intents and purposes, we heard, whether you believe it or not, and we talked about it on the podcast and uh, even on Twitter, that we knew, we acknowledged that Atlanta has gone sour on Vic Beasley because of his uh, rumored personality and love for the game, right? But we all said when he got, you know, when John Robinson decided to hire him and sign him as a free agent, and we all said that, there, there must be more to the story, and we have to trust J-Rob, right? We have to trust him. that They know that the Vic Beasley that is being put out there by Atlanta media is not the Vic Beasley here. Well, that does not seem the case for sure, right? Like, I fully agree with that. <laughs> but I will say this about the Vrabel thing. Vrabel's is just trying – he hates press conferences. I think trying to get any kind of – whether – I think – I think we have to be careful about trying to interpret the variable press conf, that variable clip. He wanted to head it off at the pass because he knew he was going to get asked about 13 million questions about Vic Beasley if he didn't do that. And I think that was the real reason why. But he's always sounding pissed. The very, no, he – But, he but, I, but I, I get what you're saying, but yeah. I, I'm sure he, I'm sure he's not happy. Like I was going to say – <laughs> I don't think he's happy about this. I know he Vic hates Beasley's.
0: pressers, but – he could have just as easily said it was Teresa who always asked the first question. He could have easily said, Teresa, John Robinson addressed us the other day. You know, well, I'm just going to let him handle it. Right. He could have gone any other direction. He still took the, the additional five to 10 seconds to say, I haven't spoken to the guy. He's not here. Right? But see, it,
2: it, even if Teresa, he said that to Teresa, you know, you know Paul was going to ask questions anyway. Well,
0: but and <laughs> you're exactly right. And yeah. to, to the defense of us, Vrabel knows those questions are coming too and yeah. he could have just said not look I'm, I'm sorry I've already answered that Robinson answered it the other day I'm gonna default you to him um that, that's true Mike, I mean Mike I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm give Mike the last word on on Vic Beasley before we talk about Corey Davis and toes
1: <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into toe meat um <laughs> Beasley I'm, I'm excited about the possibility of Beasley still like so I, I know he's a lot of people have soured on him and i fairly so and i've soured on him a bit too you know i i guess my the ceiling for what he could be i think in my opinion has lowered a bit right like you know i i in the back of my mind i think there was always the possibility that hey maybe he just needed to get out of atlanta maybe he just needed a fresh start and playing for a guy like Vrabel, maybe he unlocks something. Like, there's never been any doubt about Beasley's physical talent. Um, and so I was like – I was always allowing for the possibility that maybe um, he shows up here and, you know, Vrabel unlocks that talent. He plays with his hair on fire for a season and he goes off for, you know, you 12, 15 sacks, whatever, again. Um Because we know that's possible, right? I mean, we've seen him do it before. Um, But I feel like, I don't know, I would have expected the buy-in to be from day one. Like, you know, hey, I know this is a fresh start. I know I don't have the best reputation coming out of Atlanta. I need to come in and put my best foot forward and do all the right things if I want to get a big contract after this. Because, I mean, he's still young enough that he could get a big contract after this season if he got – if he had a big year. Um, so I would have expected with all that ex- with all that kind of in the background for him to come in and be on his P's and Q's from the jump and the fact that literally from day one it's been, well, how committed is Beasley? What, where has he been? What's going on? I feel like the, the best-case scenario now is that you get a little, maybe a little bit better version of what you had last year, which is still fine it still would be easily the second best pass rusher on the roster and, and would have been the second best pass rusher on the roster last year. But I don't know. I, I feel like the ceiling where he like unlocks all his ability and, and, you know, finds a new life here is, is maybe, maybe lower uh, percentage chance now.
0: And that that's what's shitty about yeah. this for the other, for his teammates in the locker room is that, inevitably fair or not, the questions are going to come up is he has a bad game. There's a couple of bad games. What's the first question that gets asked? What? Okay. Well, you know, does this draw focus away from the fact that Vic Beasley didn't report to camp on time and how much of this is because Vic Beasley didn't report to camp on time and what was really going on in the offseason? It just opens up a whole season's worth of questions every time something happens that's going to be centered around Vic Beasley having a bad game or if there's any other sort of, you know, off the field, I don't want to say incidents, but just anything that is going to involve the name Vic Beasley, the question is inevitably going to come up to him and to other teammates in the locker room and to variable who hates answering them, which is how much of this is tied to uh, Vic Beasley and uh, not reporting on time at uh, buying trucks in Georgia.
2: Well, it's, 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 really, he didn't miss anything. Like that was the thing. No, of course, that's, right. yeah. And the, the, I will say, the this, realistic. Yeah,
0: he didn't. He's not like he missed anything. But yeah,
2: yeah it's, yeah, it's what sucks. The um, just real quick. You know, we had talked last week about players that we're excited about, and I said Vic Beasley because I want to see how he interacts with the team, how he handles the questions. Is he in football shape? Still very interested in that. But I thought it was interesting that Kenny V was like, you know, hey, it's COVID when he was asked a question about Vic Beasley and how he would, John Glennon of broadwaysportsmedia.com asked him a question about, you know, players, locker room, Vic Beasley. And Kenny Vaccaro was like, well, you don't really know what's going on in another man's life. And I'm not here to judge that at the end of the day, if he comes into the locker room, you know, it's his personal business. That was, I thought that was kind of a, a good answer. Do you think that all the players feel that way, or do you think it's just going to be a few of the leaders feel that way, or was that just lip service?
1: I, I think I think players are so hesitant nowadays to speak out about anybody else's situation, and this is particularly true on the Titans. They, um, you know, Vrabel, and I know I've heard from, from players in interviews, you know, outside of, like, you know, the typical press conference setting, that Vrabel explicitly tells those guys, do not talk about other players' situations. You wouldn't want them talking about yours. Um, so I think that it's a little bit of Vicaros is probably coached uh, to avoid that kind of, you know, any sort of answer that passes judgment uh, in a public setting like that. But I don't know. It's it's hard to tell though. I mean, you know, maybe maybe there is a little bit more leniency because, I mean, it, there has been a lot going on in the world, um, you know, over the past six months or however long this shit's been going on now. But um, and maybe maybe he does get a little bit of a pass there. If and, and that's the thing. If he was truly debating about, I don't know if I'm going to play, I'm considering opting out because of this reason, I feel like come out and say that. You know, you say that and everybody understands immediately and everybody backs off but you just don't make any comments about it and just wait until after the deadline to report. And it's like, okay, now were you just using that as an excuse to miss a week of work? You know, like that, right. it, answer, it brings up all those questions. So.
0: Well, and there's, you know, there's not really an answer to this, but I will throw this out there. Obviously NFL players are a close knit group of people who keep up with each other. So yes, that's a very coached answer. But ultimately, you got to think that there's probably several people in the Titans locker room, several players in the Titans locker room that know the truth of whether or not the Atlanta locker room issues were correctly attributed to
1: Vic Beasley, right? Because word always gets
0: around. Some of these guys are former athletes together from college.
1: Jack Crawford played with him last year in Atlanta, or the last five years, so So, I know the Titans just signed him.
0: So and if, Keith if this would know him. if his if he was basically just legitimately just fucking around and didn't want to show up, I th- <laughs> I think there's probably a few guys in the locker room that are at home nodding, saying, "Yeah, that's the Vic Beasley." I know it,
2: it'll be interesting to see, you know, or hear both, I guess. Uh, what happens in that locker room when he's put into it officially and he passes his COVID test? Is he gonna? is there going to be a players only meeting or is he going to stand up in front of the locker room and how is he going to handle the questions? Cause eventually he's going to have to be made available to the media, right? How's he going to handle uh, pretty those questions? Soon, I think. Yeah. It, at some point, And you know, I, I get a lot of people that disagree with me, but at some point the Titans media group or whoever's in charge of PR and all that stuff has got to, has got to give us some information. I mean, they, they there has been too much of a lack of information on this that everybody is able to make assumptions, whether you know anything or not. And some of these are safe assumptions. I, I feel like I think there's going to be it's going to be someone he had a funeral, and you know he had to get stuff ready to move because he didn't get stuff ready to move earlier because he's lazy. Like it could be a bunch of different things. We 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 know that there's an element of laziness to this somewhere, unless that they come out and tell us. I mean, we just yeah. – we have to make these uh, – that's where I feel like the ball has been dropped is just tell us, you know, what's going on, and then you won't have to have the speculation. We won't have to have two podcasts talking about Vic Beasley, <laughs> and we won't have to have Vic Beasley on the air every fucking day for two weeks. Just tell us what's going on.
0: <laughs> how How long before – Paul Gorski starts falling around him uh, a la Kevin Dodd with uh, a video camera. Unless they put.
2: put, Yeah. Unless unless they put. Yeah. Vic has to be sooner rather than later has to be put in front and he's going to have to take his medicine. But it'll be interesting to see how he handles it. Is he going to pull a Kevin Dodd and shut down? Is he going to be a Taylor Lewan towards the end of the season last year where he took, you know, um, took the blame for all the penalties and shouldered the responsibility and, or is he going to be Matt Duchesne, which we didn't even get into and his no, lack but, of accountability. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very interested in how this continues to be honest. Uh, it's great radio slash podcast
0: slash podcast. So speaking of <laughs> Paul Karski, um, Paul Karski of midday One Eighty on paulkarski.com had reported last week that Corey Davis Uh, The reason why he was on PUP uh, was because he had toe surgery and it was apparently uh, he had a troublesome big toe from which doctors had to remove a piece of it. Now it doesn't go into details of what the injury was and to remove a piece. I'm going to make an assumption uh, simply because I have had foot surgery before. Um, But I I will, I'll say this uh, and good on Paul getting this out there. Corey Davis had a, a piece of his, his toe removed. Yep. That seems like a a, chunk. that sounds like a bad surgery to have for a wide receiver.
1: Well, so Karski's piece on it said, he kind of referred to it as a troublesome toe. Um, and I, we know for, from Bustin' with the Boys, uh, when Lawan dropped it um, and, uh, you know, I know, <laughs> he has said that Vrabel has spoken to him about the the situation uh since but uh Lewan told us that Corey Davis played a chunk of last season with turf toe so we know he had toe issues last season so I'm guessing it's something related to that injury um that maybe it was just not gonna heal properly or, or something along those lines i'm no toe uh expert necessarily but um i do have 10 of them and uh i i I would say i would say that (laughs) that having uh all 10 of your toes feeling pretty good is very important for a wide receiver so i mean if you want uh you know a a rosy outlook on Corey Davis's 2020, it might be that, hey, if this has really been bothering him for a while, maybe this uh, this kind of gets him back to square one and back to a uh, healthy guy. It sounded like it was not a situation where it was going to be any threat to his season um, as far as
2: availability goes. The, Zach, do you want
0: to dip your toe in the water here? Yeah, <laughs> I would
2: like to dip, dip my toe. Um, the turf toe is the sprain of the big toe joint. So that is what it is. It's a it's a sprain. It sounds like to me, who receivers constantly have turf toe. And there was someone that had a turf toe in fantasy football, in, back in the early aughts. That always had fucking turf toe, and it was and it you couldn't get away from it. I can't remember who it was, but it was someone that just had it constantly, right? And so. It's a pain. You can play through it for the most part, but it is a pain and it inhibits your ability to stop on a dime, this, that. So the fact that like- he's got surgery should be a good sign, like Mike said, a good outlook. And I'm, I'm all for the Corey Davis uh, renaissance in 2020. I don't I know if like- you can have a renaissance if you never had a birth or a rebirth, if you've never had the actual birth, but, you know. He wasn't born well, I mean, you what, know,
0: did he just he, appear? Sort of good. It wasn't. Yeah, you, fantastic.
2: Do you want a spicy hot take? Yeah. Yes.
0: Fighting.
1: I think Corey Davis leads the Titans in receiving this year.
2: Love it. That is very spicy. Are you? Are you drafting Corey Davis in fantasy football?
1: I will if he's available for me. Yeah. Yeah, but not to give yeah, anything away it. for our uh, TPL listeners. I hate Corey Davis. No, never mind. <laughs> never mind. I hate Corey Davis. Corey Davis yeah. is going to be awful. He's probably going to be out for the year.
0: <laughs> that's that's wonderful i so <laughs> no yeah, i clip i that I, off by the way i, I, I just like a Don't piece of a tub, but so i i'm with zach I'm, I'm hopeful that if if you had surgery that hopefully that puts the issue to bed you know, when i think of turf tub, i think of steve mcnair i feel like he had that listed every single year on his injury report was turf toe so yeah um, that
1: might that might have been there's yeah I, eddie george had turf toe a lot too oh right? yeah, yeah. yeah
2: yeah i mean people people got the turf toe yeah. got the turf He's got, medical medical science has progressed though where you can cure the turf toe by taking a chunk of your big toe off
1: <laughs> just yeah. get that part out of there it's,
2: yeah
0: so i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna throw it to you and mike for a little training cramp cramp training cramp <laughs> training crap training Drink camp.
2: Gatorade for those
0: <laughs> little pickle juice. We'll take those training cramps right out. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you and, uh, and, and Mike for a little training camp preview for the Tennessee Titans. And then we'll close this up.
2: Okay. Here's my preview for training camp. It's going to happen. <laughs> That's about it. I mean, there's yeah. really nothing to t- talk about because we don't know really the full extent of the access that we're going to get. You can't really go and see anything. Um, I mean, I'm, ex- I'm excited to see – the pro- here, I guess, about the progression of Logan Woodside as number two. Um, this would have been a great preseason, though. Oh. I, am, I mean, Cole McDonald in the preseason would just been so much fun. And these, oh. these undrafted free agent wide receivers would have been fun to watch.
1: Of all the preseasons to get canceled, yeah. it just had to be this
2: one. But you know, there's not much that we're going to be able to see. Do take away. I think that we saw with the cuts that they made that they're, they're they themselves are anxious to see the undrafted free agents, right? Yep. And they know what they saw in Monty Bledsoe, and they they cut him. Doesn't mean that Monty Bledsoe can't come back. It just means that they are making the room to see what these undrafted free agents look like. You know. It's training camp. No, and we don't get to see Cole McDonald regularly. Like, that's, that's, it's, it's I'm heartbroken, I guess. I'm just heartbroken.
1: It's very sad. And I mean, it, even Woodside, like, can we not go and trade out, like, one of those, like, Matt Castle, Alex Tanny? Uh, preseasons for this one where we get Woodside and, and McDonald. Like, I mean, Woodside was really good in preseason last year. Um, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of curiosity as to what he might look like considering he could be and is likely, uh, right now, the, the number two quarterback on the roster. Um, and I think I do think they end up keeping three quarterbacks, by the way, on the Ooh, roster because that's spicy. Because I think with COVID, I almost if I was the Titans. I would, a, I, w- I would want as many quarterbacks that know my offense in the building as possible, just in case something happens. And you almost consider like a designated survivor kind of situation where like, cause it, the worst thing that can happen is your quarterback room all gets COVID. Right. And then you have no quarterbacks and like, what do you do? You just sign a guy off the street and plug him in that week. I mean, what, what happens if uh, Ryan Tannehill, Logan Woodside, and, you know, if, if you only had two quarterbacks, what if both of those guys were, were hanging out all week and then they both test positive on Friday before a game? Like, you just sign Case Keenum and put him in on Sunday and tell him to draw stuff up in the huddle. Like, it'd be a total disaster. So, you could keep one guy separated. Like, I mean, maybe you even put, like, a part like physical partition in the meeting room to where they are never, ever, with like, in the same physical – breathing area right and
0: nhl penalty boxes installed
1: exactly (laughs) yes yeah Yeah, yeah. so so like uh, you have like a plexiglass penalty box that you put cole mcdonald in or maybe it's woodside if you know you want him to be the number two uh and then you keep him completely separated and isolated like you do not like even on the practice field like he's working with the twos he's never with Tannehill. um I don't know. I think you've got to consider scenarios like that this year because some team is going to get screwed by a quarterback testing positive at some point. Like, even if it's a false positive, some team's going to get hosed by this thing.
2: Are you comfortable with Logan Woodside as the number two?
1: You know – comfortable would be strong because we've never ever seen him play a regular season NFL game. I don't know how anyone could truly be comfortable with him, but I guess I'm probably more comfortable than, than some others um, just because I did like what I saw from him in the preseason. It's just the preseason, but the coaches seem to like him a lot too. And and I do feel like Vrabel has earned some benefit of the doubt when it comes to player evaluation and, and kind of knowing what he's, Getting from guys, and if he's pretty confident in Woodside, which it seems like he is, that he gives him an offseason awards. Look at Woodside. Did. They, they, let, me, let me say the coaches have made it very clear they absolutely love this kid. Like, personality wise, work ethic wise, they love this kid. Um, now, he's a little bit smaller, undersized. Like, I don't think he's got the big arm that Tannehill has. I don't know if he's got a long term future as an NFL starter, but. you could see a possible scenario where he turns out to be like a case Keenum level guy. That's like maybe a a high end backup or borderline starter for a bad team kind of situation. I think that there's that ceiling there for him. Um, You know, I don't know if he's there right now. I I certainly wouldn't say he's there at the moment, but I I do think they like him on an awful lot, but um, moving off of the quarterback thing, I'm, I'm, I think the most interesting thing from camp or is going to be two things. It's going to be what happens at right tackle. And let me just talk a little bit about that picture of Isaiah Wilson that the team put out uh, this past weekend.
0: I'm sorry. Oh, you God. mean the apartment building that was wearing a Titans?
1: <laughs> <laughs> my God, this guy is, is legit. Like he's legitimately just a fridge or a refrigerator. He is thick. He's the same size at the top as he is at the bottom. There's no big belly sticking out, and he's wearing a size 56 NFL jersey. I zoomed in and looked at the tag, and it looks like he's shopping at Baby Gap. Like, it is, like, hugging his shoulders. He's barely fitting in it. It's, it's XL. This guy is enormous. Like, I know NFL players are big. That's not a newsflash. And I know Isaiah Wilson, 6'6", 350. We already knew he was big. This guy is enormous. And let me say, the whole visor, the dreads coming out of the helmet, this is the most intimidating-looking tackle in the NFL right now, day one, bar nobody. And the Titans between LaJuan and Wilson, just from a a pure on-the-field visual aesthetic standpoint, no two better looking tackles in the NFL when they, when they when they're in the uniform. Now how they play, we'll see. But I'm very excited to see Isaiah Wilson on the swag field. level
2: 1000 right. for the oh, offensive tackles. Oh, Mike, was that your,
0: was that your tweet talking about that how horrifying is it to get best Isaiah Wilson that <laughs> <laughs> after all that work you got to tackle Derrick Henry.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't an enormous Titans offense, right? Like you've got really big offensive line and then you've got Derrick Henry who's by far the biggest running back in the NFL. Like, when I wrote my piece uh, about why the analytics nerds are wrong on Derrick Henry um, a couple weeks ago, I looked up all the weights for all the starting running backs in the NFL. Derrick Henry outweighs the next heaviest running back by almost 20 pounds. I mean, he is, like, in a class by himself from a size standpoint. And then you've got this guy – isaiah wilson added to what was already a pretty big offensive line and and then you've got aj brown who's a monster of a receiver and Corey davis who's a big receiver it's, this is just a big physical nasty football team and i can't wait to see this group in action because i i think and we did um a little a little taste a little taste behind the scenes uh the guys did uh Justin Graver and Justin Mello did tape with the Titan with Roger Saffold. Uh, they, they've, they've got it in the books. It's, it's going to be coming out soon. It is apparent from talking with Roger Saffold how much they love imposing their will and how much they enjoyed that Patriots game when they just dominated that other front. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this year from the Titans offensive line. And uh, I'm excited to see it. I'm I'm excited for some like – I, I think you could get an even better version of what we saw last year from this offense, honestly.
0: Did you just drop a little Broadway sports media little, little teaser there? There's
1: a little nugget in there, a little, yeah. Little a little nugget? little nugget for the little listeners of the pod.
0: I was going to say, did you dip your toe in the water? But I already used that earlier. I, yeah. I wasted that line on Zach.
1: I, did. I, I, I didn't toe the line there. I, uh, I, just <laughs> I used that Broadway. one, too. Yeah, uh, yeah you did. Dang.
0: Now I'm going to have to come tow your car. I'm sorry. It was the uh, best I could
2: do. Are we out of topons?
0: We're out of topons. We're well, also out of time. You
2: know, I was going to say, <laughs> you know, that, you know, maybe Vic was late because he had to get his truck towed to Georgia. Oh.
1: You know? oh.
2: we need to to get out of here now
0: that's that's awful you know we we actually had other stuff to get to but we're gonna have to end it because we've spent so long going off about uh i think this was a very negative podcast (laughs) (laughs) it (laughs) was but but sometimes those are what
2: people like the most is to hear the the actual negative side of things
0: we finished
2: with some positivity though
1: we did
0: we talked about isaiah wilson and that skyscraper they put a jersey on just
1: stuffing himself into a size triple xl (laughs) jersey
0: It looks like me trying to find a college polo. So that is uh, that's the end of our show. We appreciate you tuning in as always. You all are great fans, and we love you very, very much. Especially you. Yes, I'm to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's gonna do it for us today. Appreciate you turning into the football, another reference podcast. As always, you can find us at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Whatever podcast service you're using, please rate review. Prescribe. Prescribe. Prescribe, prescribe subscribe. Please tell your friends and family that you listen to us and how much you like us and leave us a comment if you do. And if you don't, please leave that comment too, because we really like reading your hate. For myself, Zach Lines, and Mike Herndon, you have just been out.
2: Broadway Sports Media Production.